Welcome, all listener, to another episode of a Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug. This is episode 144 of the podcast. And you know what? We actually kind of managed to, again, stay on something resembling a topic. Not initially, at least. We kind of wandered over things like weather and air conditioning and skiing. Then we got to talking about Microsoft's xCloud and some of the hardware underpinning it, um, which gaming libraries it might draw titles from. It the app just became available on Android. And so uh, we don't quite know yet exactly what it's going to look like. But, you know, obviously xCloud does allow you to stream games down from the cloud, much like GeForce Now does as well. So it'll be interesting to see how Microsoft goes about implementing that and bringing it to all of our Android phones, at least for those of us who use Android. We talked about a few movies, Demolition Man, Highlander, Labyrinth. And then we got to talking about games in which Lord British appears, and in particular, games in which Lord British can be killed. Now, of course, Lord British, if you're not aware, is the monarch of the land of Britannia, first from the Ultima games, and then, uh, of course, now he is the monarch of Novia, the setting of Shroud of the Avatar. But there's kind of been a running gag in many of the Ultima games. The first few Ultima games, you could kill him. He had just a lot of hit points. But at some point, Richard Garriott, because Lord British is his in-game persona, Richard Garriott decided that, you know, he wanted Lord British to be invulnerable, which of course then meant that Ultima players found all sorts of innovative ways to exploit bugs or oversights in the game's code to uh, kill the king. And eventually Origin just kind of picked up the joke and ran with it and started implementing increasingly convoluted ways that you could kill the king in different of their games. We talk uh, a little bit about storytelling styles, Richard Garriott versus not, uh, you know, <laughs> infrequent guest of the podcast, Dr. Cat. We talk about some of the ways that people play through games in not, shall we say, orthodox ways. Doug the Eagle Dragon's playthroughs in his style of breaking the game, but not to the point that it can't be passed, uh, gets discussed at some length. Talk about engine issues and save file bloat and Shroud of the Avatar and some other crowdfunded projects. And then just right at the end, Helgriff Dragon has to ruin everything, and you'll find out how he does that. Of course, the podcast is now hosted on Anchor.fm. It's a newer, more social podcast hosting platform. You can uh, download the Anchor app, like our podcast, favorite our podcast, share the podcast and its episodes with your social media circles, please, all of that. Um, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, too. That adds to our visibility. You can find us, of course, at spam, 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 humbug.com as well. And feel free to share articles from the site to your social media circles as well. As always, this episode of Spam, 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 Humbug is brought to you by our Patreon backers, patreon.com slash Ultima Codex. If you would like to join that crew, thank you to everyone who supports us and the Ultima Codex by that means. And especially a hearty thank you to our co-producers, Seth, Golden Flame, Chris, Dominic, Violation, Hellgrove, Gronk, Pascal, and Thorwan. Okay, I've blabbed enough, I think. Let's get on with the show. Well, one thing I'm sure that I've been experiencing over the last year that I'm I'm certain that the other dragons can can relate to. This has been a very good year for gaming. Well, with new games coming out like Animal Crossing, the new Doom, Cyberpunk in a couple of months. Hello? Oh, is there somebody there? Might be. 
Or has, has Craig just become fully sentient and decided to try and uh, spoof us by copying uh, by copying what he had d- WTF his voice? <laughs> <laughs> I think if anything, you Craig can't... has been having API issues with Discord, so... You can't fool me, Craig! Referring to yourself in the third person like that? Well, Harmony Dragon thinks only the extremely arrogant or insane refer to themselves in the third person. Doom demands and just like those that, foolish words. Golden Flame shows up too, because why not? Hi, Golden Flame. How you doing? Hey. Did not expect to see you here tonight, so that's awesome. You know, I'm just, you know, sitting here melting, so why not? Oh, is it hot there? Yeah, it was 100 degrees today. Don't oh. tell me. Florida? No, no Bay Area, California. Coast. Sorry. Ah, the other coastland. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, just California's uh, decided to heat up for the weekend. Still not as bad as some other parts of the country right now, but, uh... Well, it's true. I saw cirrus clouds for the first time in a few months the other day. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I always like seeing those, because that means that it's really, really cold air, right? Those are ice crystal clouds in the really, really high altitude, so... Winter's coming. Are you serious? Yeah, I, totally. Totally. Yeah, this is where I insert the rimshot sound, but I don't have one of those, so I'll have to look for one. Yeah. <laughs> Added in post. I mean, I mean, I mean, if you're if you're if you're going to uh, string us along with multiples of that, we call that we call that the cumulus effect. Oh. <laughs> so you're nice. saying we have a hurricane of weather-related puns here? Yeah, pretty much. I'm saying I'm saying that our jokes belong in the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> that might be more of a flugelhorn. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Meanwhile, I was wondering why it felt chilly yet muggy here, and I realized, huh, it's a ninety-five percent humidity here. Boy, You're you can keep that too, thanks. You, yeah, you you can keep breathing all the water. Yeah, thank <laughs> thank God. That's one thing. It can be hot. It can be cool here, but the one thing it almost never is is super humid. So, oh, I'm out. On, I'm out on the East Coast, so we don't always escape the humidity. Yeah, I mean, I'm from the East Coast, so I can cope with it. But it doesn't make it fun. Indeed. Mm. I'm from Alberta. I uh, I go just about anywhere, and I'm like, wow, is it damp here? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's something that surprised me because when I moved to Canada for about seven months, so right outside of Calgary. I kept expecting it to be like maybe 80 during the summer, you know, maybe, you know, talking Fahrenheit there, mind you. Mm-hmm. Good. And then yeah, one... 80 Celsius would be kind of murderous. Yes. Yes. It would. <laughs> different problem set. And 80 Kelvin would be differently murderous. Yes, yes. indeed. Yes. But continue. Well, well one day I will, I walked out the front door during the summer to walk down to the store and realized, why did I feel like I'm walking in hell? Then I looked at the a nearby thermometer and it was 40 Celsius out. Oh yeah. Southern Alberta especially gets vicious, vicious summer temperatures. I mean, it was a dry heat, so I wasn't like having a hard time breathing or anything, but it was still uh, hot that I didn't expect from Canada being the typical yank that I was at the time. <laughs> yeah, hey, our climate Canada. does some interesting things. I was going to say, Canada, they all live under the ice sheet, right? 
<laughs> I kid you not. I came in that, you know, to the Calgary International Airport. I forgot exactly what it's called. Uh, I think it's just called the Calgary International Airport. And I find it amusing that Canada actually has the CIA. <laughs> well, I think its call sign is uh, YYC, if I'm not mistaken. All Canadian airports, the airport code starts with Y. As in, why fly away from here? Pretty much. Pretty much. But As I in, that's kid- actually what the Rush song is named after. <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not, though. This was July the 1st, Canada Day, we showed up. Or I, I came in. Behind me, in line, there were, a, there were a couple of people who were bringing skis with them. Well... Once you get high enough up uh, up in the air. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't off the top of my head think of any ski resort that's actually open during the winter months. Or sorry, during the summer months. But I suppose it would be possible if you were going not to an actual like ski hill, but like up into where the permanent glaciers are. You know, because apparently <laughs> double and triple black diamond runs are not thrill-seeking enough for you. Oh. I create my own difficulty level. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's why I'm skiing the 2020 trail. Uh, also, that's why I have no legs left. <laughs> Once you've skied down one cliff, what really, what's the next one? Oh, we're kind of, oh, at the risk, I was going to say something political, but we'll leave it there. Uh, politics is everywhere son just some of uh, us uh, some of us don't have to acknowledge as much as others see maybe uh, that's why people go skiing on the glacier because that's like you know <laughs> there's nothing there except snow and ice and eventually the rescuers but usually about a day too late there's there's, there's nothing there but the but the but but increased odds of your inevitable death sooner yeah you know just somewhat hastened Yes. But like I say, once you go down that first cliff, like you're fine. You know, like just once you've skied one cliff. Once you've gone off that first cliff, you never feel the next one. Yep. (laughs) Uh, I shouldn't joke because inevitably every year there's always some number of people who get killed doing crazy skiing things up in the mountains. But there it is. Guess what (sighs) I'm doing right now. Crazy skiing Uh, things up in the mountains? Well, sitting Actually, there sweating in your underwear. Skiing since I was like eleven. Ah, that's still more skiing than I've done. I can I can trip and break all uh, break every bone in my body falling down a mountain in regular shoes, much less skis. Thank you. You don't need wooden planks tied to your feet to make walking more difficult. But as far as people skiing on glaciers, I'm reminded of a quote by uh, Albert Einstein: Two things are infinite: the universe and human stupidity. And I'm not sure about the universe. <laughs> yeah don't trust everything you read on the internet abraham lincoln <laughs> i like that one oh, that's always a fun one to see floating around uh my goodness it's uh it's not really that hot here it's like hey well it was in the mid-20s today so you know that would be kind of the that, that'd be in that 80s range i think if i do the conversion in my head well enough um I mean, nice enough. Funnily enough, though, like, so we were we were getting roasted there, kind of in the last couple of weeks of July. It was, you know, it was it was about as hot as it gets here in Edmonton, which is still like that'll put you into the nineties, easy, uh, on the Fahrenheit scale. 
uh, into the 30s if you reckon it in centigrade. And we've been in this house for eight years and we've kind of figured out some tricks to somewhat passively cool the place down. But my wife finally decided, nope, I've had it. Uh, for my birthday, I would like actual proper air conditioning. Yeah. So uh, that so got installed literally today. Now uh, you get into the debate of what constitutes proper air conditioning. Well, in this case, it's a uh, carrier unit uh, that got installed on the side of the house and uh, is hooked up here to the furnace. So there you go. All right. All right. But uh, yeah, that got installed today. So like the hot period has mostly passed, although apparently over the weekend we're supposed to get some, a bit of a scorcher, but uh, we'll see. It, uh, it was weird though, because it was like two weeks of just intense, intense heat. And then like the rollover from Saturday to Sunday, the temperature dropped like 12 degrees. Ah, you wanted to buy an air conditioner. We're going to mock you with cool weather. <laughs> yeah, literally, right? This weather's just like, oh, you think you got me? Hey, well, I'll show you. Uh, but whatever. Although, interestingly enough, the kids went to bed a little bit faster in the cold. So, although that doesn't actually surprise. Like, I find, like, hey, if I'm I, out... I, I, I like to think of that as their little tiny bodies trying to preserve their, their heat units. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just... I. I mean, I've gone camping in literally every month and literally every season that Canada has to offer. And uh, I always sleep better in the cold, you know, when it's chilly outside. Just tuck me into my sleeping bag and have the cool air on my face. It's wonderful. Yes. And this is uh, camping stuff you should know, I guess. I don't know. Um ugh. Of course, you know, I put together the whole recording session because this was like a night, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Cray, now what are we going to talk about? Um, although I guess xCloud dropped unexpectedly today, which is, Ombre is really excited about, and actually so am I, for that matter. I'm, I'm waiting to see if any word on a proper PC client for it. Yeah, that is true. I mean, it'll be nice to stream things to my Android phone. I got to see if I can get my Steam controller to uh, pair up with my phone. I believe it's possible, although I might have to actually do a firmware update on it. On the controller or on the phone? Uh, the Steam controller on the Steam controller. Yeah. Well, depending on the difference on the games in xCloud versus Game Pass for PC, because I heard that it's actually a streaming service that's streaming Xbox One games and not... Well, it seems to go in, like, I mean, okay, I, I don't know what their online library is yet. Uh, I haven't checked it out, but uh, I did install the app today, and I've got to, I've got to upgrade my, uh, my Game Pass subscription to get access to xCloud. But the app, for as little as I was able to do with it, informed me that I had two options. I could stream things from my Xbox, or... I could stream things from xCloud, right? So it seems there's kind of two parts there. There's, you know, the part where, yeah, if you have games on your Xbox, you can stream those to your phone. But then there's separate to that, evidently, an actual online library of titles that are available for streaming. Now, I don't know if that's going to work like, well, anything you'd have access to in Game Pass, you can stream, or whether it's going to be more like... Um, GeForce Now, where it has to be something you actually, you know, own through the Xbox online infrastructure. I'm, I'm hoping for the former, because if it's the latter, that certainly limits its utility, right? Because it's, you know, with Game Pass, you just pay that one fee a month, and you can download and play these games on 
your PC for as long as they are on Game Pass, right? Because of course, there's sort of a rotation in the titles, um, at least for the third party stuff. I don't think Microsoft rotates their own stuff out of the library. Um, but if it's a case of where, you know, I actually then have to click the buy button to stream a game via xCloud, then, well, that's not as appealing. Especially because GeForce Now can already connect to my Steam library and my Epic library. And uh, I think they touch Ubisoft. I think they connect to Ubisoft as well. So, you know, yeah, overall. I know, they, I know the God connects to like just about every single other like yes galaxy will show you your entire library across most of the major platforms which is cool right but that's not a streaming service that's just you know sort of a library aggregation although that is handy given that i have unlimited data and given that i have a rather sweet system at the moment the main (laughs) appeal to me for xcloud is to well there's two a not having to actually download games you know when Mm. For the time to download and such and b having access to a greater library than just what's on game pass for pc yeah and yeah if it is coming out of the xbox library that would be substantially more awesome since not everything has made the jump over to the pc side i don't know it really depends like i mean i guess it really depends on what they're because if they're streaming the game to you, they're obviously running the game on the back end somewhere. So I guess it really depends what sort of environment they've set up to run the games on the back end, right? Like I know if you have GeForce Now, then you're essentially getting a, you know, a virtual machine that's got um, half of a 2070 Super or something like that allocated to it. So, you know, a fairly ridiculous amount of graphics horsepower. Um Plus, you know, whatever they're allocating for a processor and memory, I, I don't know that much more about the infrastructure beyond what they're using for the graphics side. And I mean, the nice thing about that is, you know, if you want information I, of what's in an xCloud server blade, I found that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Drop a link. Ooh, well, let's see here what we have. Seems they are basically using Xbox One S consoles in server blades. You're you're coming in extremely robotic, by the way. Who, me? Yeah. Yeah, you were all, your voice was coming in all hacked up for a moment there. Well, it's a good thing I'm recording my audio separately from what <laughs> Craig is also getting. So, but I, on that note, apparently Craig has been having, like, there's been some back and forth between the developer and the Discord API uh, over, uh, I've been following their channel and yeah, apparently there's a fair number of API issues which are producing all kinds of audio wackiness. So if I sound a little bit robotic, that could be my connection speed. That could be Craig. I don't know, but whatever. I'm recording my audio independently. So I'll just overlay that and it'll be fine. If it comes in all choppy, that's Craig's, uh, you know, impersonate the humans software, just taking Mm. a left. Uh, You found me out. I'm, I'm actually a robot. Yes, I know. I know. And the world will know too soon. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, we are publishing this episode at some point. (laughs) Is this where I say this statement is false so I can make your brain explode? Uh, mm. Unfortunately, he's got one of those triluminary computers. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm a trinary processor. Well, it's not true trinary. It's just that I can hold a metastate between zero and one. And somewhere in the depths, I thought I saw a two. (laughs) Yeah. 
robot ghost stories. Ghost stories, a, stories. Someone shared a meme. I don't know if it was you, Helgriff. Someone shared a meme on Facebook the other day where it was, you know, the, the two guards, the one who always tells the truth and the one who always lies. And, of course, the wizard's trying to figure it out and the barbarian just kills one of the guards and asks the other one if he's dead. <laughs> I remember seeing... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this one's the liar. <laughs> I remember seeing a similar comic where they had a third guard that says, I'm the one who kills people for asking stupid logic questions. Ah, well, see, the barbarian would get through that too. It's not really a logic question when you just hack one to death and then ask the other guy if you just did that. I mean, Haley shoots one of them in the foot in uh, Order of the Stick. I'm just, hmm. I'm just taking the, uh, the, you know, the bash down of door the door approach a little more literally. Mm-hmm. It's the direct approach. I'm just going to take up the guard and bash him through the door. <laughs> well, that, oh, uh, actually, wasn't that, uh, that was Demolition Man, right? Where, um... It may have been. It's been a long time since I've seen Demolition Man. Because uh, it's like Wesley Snipes is... Wesley Snipes is in the museum and he's looking at all the ancient weapons or whatever, or like the, the you know, the, the museum yeah. and, uh, the, the museum curator walks up and is, you know, talking to him and is trying to explain how we've left all their violent ways behind. And he's looking at like all this tempered glass and he's like, how much do you weigh? It's like, well, I weigh good enough. Smashes the guy through the glass, gets the guns. Some speaking of. Of that movie of Demolition Man, something I never realized until after I had seen the uh, no the second movie. The guy who played like the warden person in charge of the town was the same guy who played the warden in the Shawshank Redemption. Huh. Typecasting. Well, I mean, if you got a roll, if you get it a roll, I was mostly just rolling my eyes at the blatant uh, Taco Bell product placement. <laughs> now all restaurants are Taco Bell. And how they literally on the, you know, that whole scene where they were riding in the car singing uh, food jingles. Can you? Yes. Uh, I think, I, I think I'm beginning to be glad that I never saw the sequel. They made a sequel. There was a sequel. Maybe I conflated a point he was making earlier. Oh, oh no. I just. That looked, sounds like what someone just looked something up and learned that there was a sequel. That's exactly what that is. <laughs> but I promise only to use my powers for evil or my own amusement. Well, it could be worse. It's not like they're making a Bill and Ted sequel. <laughs> Wait a minute. The internet is there for you, sir. The internet is there for you to support all of your nightmares. And we'll gladly remind you that not only did Highlander 2 exist, but they made an even worse sequel where the villain gained his powers by sleeping in the coffin of Genghis Khan for a thousand years. It could be worse. It could be the, I've seen something that actually, or a Highlander product that actually managed to trump uh, Highlander 2. It's not hard. There were sequels. Right. Wasn't there a TV series? Yes, yes. there was. And then there was there was the inevitable movie starring the movie Highlander and the TV series Highlander. Yes. And then the series itself had an end of series movie, Highlander the Source, where they did a pop version of Queen's Princes of the Universe. That sounds ugh. You're, no, it sounds more croc to me, like as in a pair of shoes with a bunch of holes in them that smell bad. <laughs> 
also known as the plot of that movie, I'm sure. That just seems that just seems wrong. As it should. I mean, if I wanted if I wanted like, you know, pop numbers in the middle of my fantasy epics, I I can watch The Labyrinth. Like, you know, like that's a that's an option. Labyrinth's not a fantasy epic. Tell that, to, tell that to all my uh, lady friends who swoon over David Bowie. No, 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 no. All kind of fantasy. Let us, let us separate. <laughs> let us separate that effect from what from, from from discussing of a fantasy epic, which Labyrinth is not. Okay, I mean, I can see the point. <laughs> Still, I'm just saying, if I want right. pop numbers alongside my fantasy creatures and whatnot, I, I have options. Well, yes, if that's what you if that's what you want, yes, you can go straight to Labyrinth and it will serve your purposes. I'm still partial yeah. to anything done by Henson, you know, the Henson uh puppet or muppet uh studio. Ah, yes. An, a, a, another Walt Disney company. Yeah, well, now, yes, but uh, yeah. <laughs> by the way, the answer to my previous question that got sidetracked by skis oh. uh Updated to what I was just doing was dying off in my first attempt to play through the Nox Archaeist beta. Ah, so you got well, ki- you got killed by your own program? No, no, not mine. Yeah, no, Nox he's Archaeist. doing the Dark Unknown. Nox Archaeist is oh, the right, other other yeah, retro project. Yeah. I have so many retro projects yep. I'm backing right now that I, they start to sadly they start to blur together when they shouldn't. <laughs> is- I mean, I could also be launching the Scald beta. There is if one I'm, thing I'm, I'm following that one as well. Uh huh. And Celasta. Regarding Nox Arcade, yep. there's one thing I want to know. Okay. Can you kill Lord British? I haven't met him yet. Because we all know he's in the game. Yep. But no, probably. I, I haven't gotten to him yet. And granted, since it's not an origin game, whether well, it's up in the air. Yeah, there's no guarantee that there's a programmer on the team whose sole purpose in life is to program in a way, the sneaky way to kill Lord British in this game. Well, I've seen the devs get asked that question and they were coy. So I'm guessing mm. there's a way, but I don't know what it is and I haven't is there tried to find it. There's a way to kill it. Lord British in this game. And is it, is it different from the way you'd kill anyone else in this game? <laughs> because that's an some... important clarifier. Is it some unnecessarily <laughs> convoluted means of killing a person? Although, to be fair, Ultima 6 would also fail that task, because realistically, if I walk up to anybody sleeping in that game and hit them with a glass sword, they will die. Yes, it's it's true. Similarly, I, if I, I surround I, I, anybody I have... in that game with powder kegs and blow all the powder <laughs> kegs up, they will die. I, I will point out to the record that you're dealing with what I call a vampire problem. Any way thing you do that will kill a vampire will also kill a not-vampire. This is true. Except possibly Depending garlic. Depending on the version. Uh, and the version with sunlight. The yeah, with like, the you need a lot more sunlight. Yeah, yeah with and the exception of basic exposure to sunlight. And there's probably a lethal level of garlic. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. family who have had sarcoma yeah. of skin yeah. cancer that would disagree with you that it's harmless to people. Yeah, but the effect is not anywhere near as accelerated. Fair enough. Mm. You know, yes, it, if the statement is anything yes. that would kill, then I think it's clear that we can absorb more sun and garlic punishment. And that sounds like a nice vacation. I will remind you, vampire garlic, <laughs> gar- garlic does not kill vampires. Like several, like, like, like many of the vampiric banes, all it really does is ward them away. Fair enough. Uh, alternately, 
once they are killed, you have to shove garlic in their or mouth. Holy, or holy, or holy wafers. But if you stuffed a bunch right. of holy wafers in a person's mouth and held that mouth shut, they'd probably die too. Also, well, if you, you shoved a bunch of holy wafers in uh, a dead human's mouth, I'll bet he wouldn't res either. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think that's solid. I think that's solid <laughs> mythological oh. science right there. No. Going back to killing Lord British, so I will Jury's give out. Stefan extra credit for the f simple fact that the ways that you could kill him there were specifically coded in rather than exploits or something that would kill somebody else. You actually got custom text for trying to use the black sword on Lord British. Oh, yes. I know. Well, I think U7 was the first one that did that because before they actually honestly tried to keep Lord British genuinely invulnerable and... You know, the one way that you Finding kill him in U6. cases, yeah. Yeah. Like the killing him in U6 with the glass sword while he's sleeping, well, that's just because of how the game handles NPCs while they're sleeping. Exactly. Technic they're not yeah. actually the NPC. They're just... Yeah, a, sort of a, a reference a, a, object. A, they're, they're, a generic, they're a generic link. I mean, they were smart enough to link that to the character so that if you killed the generic link, the character died which is also why it became a vulnerability for Lord British in this state. Yes. But, yeah, you weren't technically hitting Lord British with the glass sword when, when you were hitting him in bed. You were hitting generic figure X. Yeah, sort of a pseudo-NPC that, uh, but yeah, it was just, uh, and, I mean, the powder keg thing is a little bit more, um, is okay. a little bit less of a bug, but still, like, basically, you know, you're just you're just dealing an overwhelming amount of simultaneous damage to the character. And you're, I don't know if you're actually like overflowing a buffer or if there is actually some like ceiling on hit points that he can't heal fast enough. However, it works out. You can kill him with powder kegs if you have enough of them. Which was this, which one was it? Was this seven or six or which six, one was six. that? Okay. Yeah. Seven though was when they started coding in actual ways to kill him. The black sword, the sign above the door. Yes, you know. all of that had to be custom coded in. Yeah. 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 And in one, you you could kill him. But like all the kings, he had like literally thousands of hit points, but if you had a phaser and were willing to dance around the castle long enough, you could manage it. Hmm. I mean, sure, every garden creation was going to come down on your head, so you had to kill all them too. But if you had a phaser and enough time, you could take care of the guards also. You often had to do that anyway just to get away from killing Chuckles and getting the key and saving the princess. <laughs> well, yeah, technically you could, you know, get the kill Chuckles, get the key, op uh, open the princess, and basically make a death run for the gate and hope you had enough hit points to survive. You, you could absolutely escape that way if the guards didn't fence you in entirely. That's what I usually did. But yeah, if you had enough hit points and a phaser, then you could just shoot them from like three squares away and then keep moving away from them and use like the obstacles and walls to catch them up so to widen the distance between you and them again and then go back to, to blasting them. Fair enough. I'll well, admit, I... Uh, oh, sorry. After you. Okay. Um, I'll admit, at least in Ultima 6, my interest was less in killing Lord British and more in, and I think somewhere online I put a video of this up, but basically um, lining up my party like at the bottom end of the throne room, having whoever was last on the roster of eight whack Lord British with, or well, not even whack Lord British, but actually like shoot him with a crossbow or something. And then running for it, just running for it and seeing if 
more than just the avatar could make it out of town alive. <laughs> How'd that work for you? Um, I think there was one time where the avatar and Shamino managed to escape, but usually either we'd all die or just the avatar would actually be able to run and stay alive long enough that Lord British would lose aggro. Well, it's not like Richard is going to feel suicidal enough to kill himself, is it? <laughs> well, that was only one time. I, I ran the experiment many, many times. <laughs> well, so he know. does eventually leash though. He does. He loses aggro after a while, but usually you got to like run straight south from the castle, cut over in front of the museum, run south towards, you know, the, the, the boat docks and past. And by the time you get to like the guardhouses at the edge of town, he's usually given up the chase. You'll notice he, he doesn't manage to like tell the guards ahead of you. Hey, him. Stop he's that a bad, man. bad man. No, no. They, they, they don't ever, you know, they only yell like stop thief when you at the point of theft, not later on while you're running away. And uh, similarly, yeah, he doesn't enlist the guards later on. Yeah, you, you'll, you'll notice uh, he had a very precise path there indicating just how many times he tried this endeavor. <laughs> He's done this enough that the, that the pattern is, is, is uh, you know, carved into his synapses. Uh, I, have, I, I feel like he gave an introduction that led me to believe that that was going to be the case. I have to ask a stupid question. I have a stupid I'll answer. Bet. Let's see if they match. Have After I... you try something as mind-bogglingly stupid as actually trying to kill Lord British in a straight fight like that, and you get obviously mongled, dude, or when you get, or do you get brought back to life as oh, normal? Oh yes. Oh yes, you are resurrected in whatever the method is for when you're for when the prime for the avatar dies in the game in question. What and does the what about the rest of the party? Do they like hold you? Like, hey, why'd you try to kill the king? No, the games were never no. the games were never that delicate. In Ultima Seven, depending on how you provoked matters, that might cause one or more party members to run away or quit or or, or dialogue and quit your party. Well, but so if you, but yeah, that, but that's as close as you got to that effect. Yeah, like in U seven, if you stole too much, there would be people who would quit and maybe even start attacking you. Um, I think too, if you overused the black sword and its ability to just kill people directly, um, sometimes your party would start wailing away at you. Uh, in in interesting little uh, differential. If uh, if you uh, indulge criminally before getting the password to leave Trinsic, regardless of whether you've left Trinsic through other means, i.e. the blacksmith cheat room, yep. the guards don't send you to jail. They just kill you. Well, nice of them. So yes, if you have not played along and invoked the, the, the ritual of copy protection satisfaction, it does not go well for you when you do something the guards don't approve of. All right, good to know. I did recently discover that it is actually possible to exit Lord British's castle um, without answering the coffee protection questions in U6. Yes, uh, I managed this in the Commodore 64 version, actually, which tells you a lot about my endurance, given how many times you had to swap discs in a yeah, dual drive system to play Ultima 6 on the Commodore. Yeah, there's a couple points in the moat where you can literally just like move yourself diagonally across the water. Yes, yes, and that, that, is, that is in fact the way to do it. <laughs> yep. Uh, of course, this actually adds to the difficulty of the game rather significantly because you don't have the orb of the moons, you don't have free healing. Um, so if you if if anyone it's out hard, there is it's hard mode, it's definitely yeah, hard mode. <laughs> yeah, if you want to know how to play U six uh, in the brutally hard way, um, do that. 
Well, I you never enjoy going through Hithloth every time you have to go back to the gargoyles. Here's the <laughs> way to play for you. <laughs> True story. The first time I ever played U7, I never realized you were supposed to go through the whole quest line of, you know, before or to find out where the Time Lord was before getting Lord British's Orb of the Moons. Because I remember I just exhausted every discussion topic within the first time I met him and he gave me his orb. And the f one of the first things I did was I would just throw it down randomly, figuring out what location sent me where. I think I did that too. And I thought that it kind of more or less corresponded to the U6 chart right like because i remember in the ultima six clue book there was like a little chart of like okay so yeah, if you go one like square the, up it goes here two squares up yeah. goes here it and was I like think you said except the gargoyle locations yeah. had oddly enough been excised yeah those didn't work anymore but it was basically in the same pattern six six had a whole bunch of of extra places you could go yeah, but it was, the, it was a five by five the, with you at the center so basically there were the pattern yeah, but the pattern for where for the town moon gates was the new moon was in one direction and then in a clockwise cycle around it goes through the moon phases and that corresponded to seven. It was the same pattern, yeah. you know, clockwise it, through the moon phases. Yeah, if you if yeah. you dropped it two spaces away in mm -hmm. a, in, a, in, a, in a direct or di or direct diagonal or direct orthogonal line, you got to one of the town one of the town right. moon gates. Yeah. And then the intervening spaces were the shrines. Uh, the shrines, the castle of Lord British, and a couple of other oddballs. And, yeah. and gargoyle places. In, in U6, yeah, and then in U7. But the thing in U7, of course, was it was kind of tricky to figure out, like, what was one space versus two space. You know, because the uh, in, in U6, the, the tiles were much more apparent. <laughs> much easier to right. pick yes. Yes. I don't I don't even remember... Like I, I haven't played seven in a while. I didn't even remember that it went anywhere other than the the moon gates and the one. Uh, instead of going to the moon gate, you go to the time lord spot. I forgot. No, that. you could get around with it, sort of in the same way. It's just, I mean, but why would you, right? Because like the moon gates themselves are so unpredictable. Half the times you walk into them, and it just punches you in the face. Right. So, <laughs> well, you know, black rock generators. Yeah. Yeah. I hate him. You hate him. We all hate him. Yeah. And I mean, once you get the magic carpet, you know, if, why? Yes, the magic carpet flying fortress slash logistics solution. Yeah, exactly, right? Hey, slash look. Way to render the game unwinnable. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. You could put 18 barrels in the back of that boy and like 20, like 20, 25 crates on the two long sides. You could sides. turn it into a flying box fort. <laughs> yes. You could absolutely do that. And this meant you could you could OCD your equipment sorting to the nth degree. <laughs> this is my barrel just for bandages. This is my barrel just for cloth. This is my barrel just for just for potions, just for gold nuggets, just for gems, just for serpent venom. Oh, you're hungry. Well, let's open the crate of let's steaks. Open the, let's open the food crate. Here you go. Crate of oh, butter. You only had you only had one food crate? <laughs> I find I mean, myself reminded of Nakar. I only ever needed one food crate. <laughs> and somehow <laughs> managing to get the... Those tiny little rations fed you real good, and you could put a shit ton of them in, a bar in one barrel. That's true. That's true. Sorry, Harmony. We cut you off there. It's fine. I suddenly am reminded of uh, Nakar, Steve, the Avatar runs of U7 uh, through and on up. 
I remember him somehow breaking the system by moving the door to a ship's, you know, storage onto a player and effectively using that for unlimited storage over the course of the game. Oh yeah, that, he he hacked, he hacked moved a car a cargo hold into into a player's inventory. <laughs> yeah. Took me a to real to remember what it was you were referring to. It was also in the car Steve the Avatar where I found out that taking any pl- any party member literally any party member in single player mode up to the gypsy i use air quotes there because that's not really a nice term these days uh the prostitute you could literally take anybody there and get their services even sherry the mouse well not all of the gypsies in ultima six or seven were prostitutes actually in fact six had two bands the legitimate gypsies and the if you follow the, the conversation trees with any vigor, clearly fakers out to rob people, gypsies, mm-hmm. or uh, it, to, the, the uh, ones that weren't the ones that weren't even the one, yeah the ones that weren't even gypsies that were basically scamming you scamming you out of your money any way they thought they could get it out of you. Yeah, and technically, if I remember correctly, and granted, my knowledge of U seven is a little bit less than that of U six, but if I recall correctly, most of the uh, prostitutes uh, in U7 were not identified as gypsies as such, right? Because there was... No, no, they were, they were the, they were baths. The bathhouse workers, workers yeah. Yes. No, it was really, it was really just the one gypsy from U6 that was that, 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 that was the, the prostitute basically. Yeah. Well, there was the whole gang of them there. And yeah, they weren't particularly yeah. discriminating as to who their clients were. Well, neither were the employees of the baths, so there you go. Yeah, well... Hey, a keyword's a keyword. The game logic doesn't care. <laughs> oh, that is just one of those things where they could have programmed in a test, but chose not to. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Suppose if I ever have a chance to interview Richard Garrett about that again, I should ask him directly. Or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Can you endure the stories? <laughs> because yes. I mean, well, it's I, Richard, I, I, not Dr. Cat. Yes, I know. Um, you say these words... And, and yet, both of them are inveterate storytellers. It's just Dr. Cat just has a different delivery style, is the best way I can put it. Yeah, Dr. Cat has about a 5x modifier on length. That's, that's the thing. Like, Richard tells a story, but he, I mean, he kind of has that rapid fire way of talking, and he tends to tell the story a little bit more succinctly. Dr. Cat um, rambles. <laughs> well, but the thing is, like, there's a difference between how, you know, there's a difference between like rambling, rambling and Dr. Cat rambling because Dr. Cat rambling is literally chock full of so much detail about every little side thing. And eventually you circle around back to the point, maybe if you're lucky, but you know, along the way you have learned a hell of a lot about a hell of a lot of things. <laughs> but Dr. I get the feeling Dr. Cat tells stories the way people think elves tell stories. I can see it. At great length because yes, we diverge into every side, every side issue and explain them at length. And then if you're lucky and you haven't fallen asleep because you failed to con save, you get back to where you started. <laughs> we shall now have the excursus from the excursus from the digression from the tangent. After all, we're elves. We can afford to spend three weeks just uh, discussing this. Yes. Well, and at the same time, there's a bit of an entish attitude there too. Yes. Sorry, Harmony. Who was it that taught the Ents to speak? Ah, tis true. Ah, ha, ha. 
You have me there. Sorry, Harmony. Spoke at the same time as you. After Soda, after the marketing for Soda, if it was between sitting down and listening to Richard tell a story and Dr. Cat, even if if it might take a lot longer, I'd love to sit down and I'd much prefer to sit down and listen to Dr. Cat. Mm. Or at least I'd find it more trustworthy. Well, I think that, you know, like Dr. Cat just has like an amazing knowledge base to draw from, right? And that's not to say that Richard doesn't, but I think Dr. Cat's interests are broader and so the amount of information he can leverage in pursuit of an eventual point is just that much broader and much more fascinating, um, I think. Chatting with Dr. Cat reminds me of like the first, the first time I got a job as an engineering student, the first time I had a, like a summer gig in an engineering role, um, my supervisor was utterly crazy, completely insane. Um, but he had, he had eventually completed a computer engineering degree, but only at the outcome of about 20 odd years in university nearly completing a variety of other degrees. And so it was quite possible that he could relate our predicament in getting a control system printer to connect serially to the network so that we could print to it. Um, He could somehow like relate this to some obscure battle that Napoleon fought it, it it was just mind blowing, like where he could draw connections from. It it made sense at the time. I don't suppose I could recreate any of his, you know. But listening to Doctor Cat reminds me of that greatly because you know you'll be on one topic and then all of a sudden you're talking about Coney Island, and somehow it relates and makes sense. <laughs> Moving from topic to topic is kind of what we do, though. It is. It is. It's kind of what this podcast has become. Actually, it's kind of where this podcast started too, because the first two or three episodes was literally, you know, me going over a variety of interesting links that I didn't have time to post on the codex. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm just going to say it's called spam, spam, spam humbug. You didn't expect a certain amount of topic of, uh, of drift just based on the, <laughs> on the nomenclature. Yeah, well, this Come is true. Now. I mean, the cheat code is uh, one of the cheat codes primary functions is to create items that utterly act like other items. Drift that is, is true. Thin. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Edible gold nuggets. Those were always my favorite. For those of you who have no idea what the heck that means, um, in the Ultima games, certain of the Ultima games, Ultima 6, Ultima 7 had this as well. Um, there was a cheat menu, and in Ultima 6, you access the cheat menu by saying spam, 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 and humbug in that order to one character in particular. Uh, but within the menu, you could create, within the cheat menu, you could create items. And the items had, I'm probably going to fudge these terms a little bit, but basically there was like an item property and an item quality. So the property defined what the item looked like, and the quality defined what the item was. Maybe I have that reversed. But essentially the idea was that, you know, you could create something that had the appearance of a gold nugget, but was... the properties of a magic sword. Yeah, or the properties of a side of mutton. Or the properties of a fireplace tile. Yes, exactly, you know, so... So you could, in essence, make edible dirty diapers if you wanted to. If you wanted to, yeah. As long as there was a dirty diaper graphic in U6, you did you couldn't create new images. Oh, without yeah. like in, without engaging in like some of Doug the Eagle's uh, odd little U6 add-on projects. 
Right. Well, yeah. I, I, so I you was had to use U7 with the dirty diaper fighting. Right. Yeah, no. But, in U7, you could definitely create an edible diaper. In U6, you know, edible gold nugget. Like I say, yeah. that was kind of a thing. Edible uh, gold nuggets that work like food. Food that works like gold nuggets. <laughs> yep. And and so on and so forth. Um, so. And I mean, like, you know... C- Completely nonsensical things, but it's just fun with the engine. But then, I mean, so much of tinkering with the Ultima games was literally just having fun with the engine. That's even true of, you know, Doug the Eagle's explorations of U9 and his absurd bread bridge to Turfin or wherever he built that thing to. Oh, do you not want to be hedged in by the world? Get yourself a shit ton of bread and follow these directions. A couple of staves, a few other things, and cast Gust. I think the but bread interesting was, that the physics uh, engine... The in- can. Say what, sorry? I think the bridge was to Buxton. It might have been, yeah, which, or maybe to Trinzic. Let him trigger the stuff with the pirates early and yeah, like get the backpack back before it ever got taken away and all that stuff. <laughs> Basically, just uh, how to play your game as a series of consecutive continuity breaks without actually having it crash crash out to DOS. Well, and that was the thing that Doug did very well. Was that you know he played the games out of order and in ways that completely broke all the scripting and all the continuity, but still found a way to pass them, right? Yeah, he Hurry, Avatar. The games. Britannia yeah. is not well. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny game, while he did it. A breaking a game while still managing to get a completion state, that's the whole essence of speedrunning. It, it is, except, you know... I, well, no one would accuse it, Doug of speedrunning the game. No, if no, anything, Doug, we would no, accuse Doug, Doug of no, no. belaboring the game. <laughs> Doug, Doug basically, basically gets you all the content, just about, but in ways that was was never meant to happen. <laughs> I looked up Breadbridge and U9 and instantly got an image of a person walking across water on a bridge made of staves and open books. Yep. So uh, basically, it, it, yeah. If you want to see the height, well, okay, what I feel is the height of Doug's efforts, you need to look up Fear and Loathing in Serpent Isle. Oh, that is a good one. That is a good one. His Deus Ex ones are also classics, but I, I, I still feel that's, I still like that one the best. <laughs> yes, Fear and Loathing in Serpent Isle is, is an amazing piece. Because, I mean, it, granted, it is, as much, uh, it is as much his writing style as the fact that he is doing absolutely horrible things with the game and its scripting engine and still somehow managing to pass it. Um, I do like, though, like, he has a lot of fun with Ultima 8, too. And including... Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. In, including... Um, now, granted, he also finds interesting ways to actually make the game crash out to to DOS or, in U9's case, I guess, to Windows. Um but my favorite of his from U8 was um, because there were those pools in the city of Tenebrae, right? Sort of those walled pools in the city of Tenebrae. And so mm-hmm. he would jump up on the wall and attack a civilian and then fling himself into the water. And of course, if you fling yourself into water in U8, you die. Right. But the, the, the avatar has lost all ability to, to do anything even remotely resembling swimming. Right. And well, there's a sea serpent that literally has te- tentacles and anything deeper than a cup of ale. Yeah. Well, yes, there's also the lurker, but beyond that, what's funny about what Doug does is if you attack a citizen of Tenebrae, 
the wizard Baron shows up to administer justice to you, to execute you, right? But Explosively, yes. Yes, but <laughs> you have just flung yourself into the water and died, and have been deallocated by the heap manager. Oh, yes, yes, So yes. Baron shows up and administers justice to, in Doug the Eagle's uh, telling of it, memory address 000000, bringing the game to its inevitable conclusion, the DOS. Bob. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a, there was a, yeah, yeah his, his U8 coverage has a, a lot of, Here's what happens when two competing death mechanisms, uh, you know, compete for the avatar. <laughs> yes. Or I, I, there I think so many ways to get insta killed in eight or nearly yeah. insta killed, and therein lies the mystery and the joy. Yep. But yeah, his fear and loathing, because like he, I mean, especially because like he completely breaks like, well, I mean, he breaks everything in every game that he plays, but like he completely breaks the banes. Um. Yeah, just he turns that whole game upside down. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. When you, when but you come how many work. times do you have to play a game to understand it to such a fine detail, to understand its mechanics to such a fine level of detail that you can deliberately waltz in and do everything you can to break every bit of scripting in the game except for like this one little core of the event scripting that will allow you to actually achieve the end game screen. <laughs> you know, how much trial and error must that have taken for him to do any of those playthroughs? Here is this. Here is this how many games can a man walk down? Yes. Yeah. Here's this wide world of quests and interesting phenomenon and things. And we're going to ignore all of that. And we are going to cheat so hard without actually using any sort of cheating codes or anything. To progress directly to go. Do not collect 200 monetari. But if you do, I, cast for false coin on it a lot. <laughs> well, on that note, on that note, I did like his, um, how did he phrase this with Ultima 7? How to summon the apocalyptic sum of money? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because if you're a fellowship member betting on the games in yeah, Buccaneers the, Den, you get the double the race. winnings as if you're not a member. So yeah, if you're betting on the rat race, you can always grow your money if you bet on all four lanes. And if you keep stacking up the gold, you yeah, can just because keep each gold coin, even if there's a stack of a hundred, the game behind the scenes counts that as a hundred objects that it's allocating. So eventually, <laughs> yes, eventually when you when you when you make the the play that would increase your gold to approximately two point one million gold pieces on a successful win. The engine chokes and dies and dumps you out to DOS. Yeah. <laughs> Long before that, troublesome things start happening, like walls disappearing. Yeah, and grass tiles disappearing, and just like the the, the game just starts to fluctuate, let's say. Yes, yes. Britannia is not well. <laughs> We're talking a game that at the best of times ran at 12 frames per second. Yeah, well, this wasn't even a case of it, like, this wasn't even a case of frame rate issues. This was actually a case of like in an effort to draw that many gold coins on screen, the game engine actually hits an overflow, removed walls, removed grass tiles, removed other graphics from your view in order to show you the gold coins that it needed to show you. 
Yeah, uh, it really doesn't matter how much more memory you bring to Ultima 7. You will eventually hit the point where the math drowns the game. Yeah. Uh, exponential growth remains exponential. <laughs> doesn't matter how much uh, memory you're throwing at it. Sooner or later, the cancer of your wealth will destroy Britannia. And on that poetic note... <laughs> Aha! <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's funny because... It's interesting to me that, you know, Doug starts with, I mean, he does a lot of stuff with Ultima 6, but he's never able to really break Ultima 6 in the same way that he is the later games. Ultima 6 doesn't have nearly the same level of dependency. In part two, I think it may also just have a much higher level of overall stability, you know? Well, it's, uh, yes, but Ultima 6 was still at a point where for the most part, when you completed quests, it didn't change people's dialogues. It didn't change. It didn't. It, like they didn't suddenly start doing new things. And, you know, like they didn't suddenly That's start true. following new behavior paths. The NPCs, while they may have had uh, like pages and pages of dialogues in some cases, that dialogue didn't change depending on where you were in the game state. That's the game true. State was very set, which meant yes, it, it was more stable. It was less prone to things breaking down. Which means, to a certain level, it's also less exploitable. Yeah, and I think—I mean, yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of the, just the way that you know, the game was setting flags. I, I mean, they're all, they're all tied to, you know, it, it's pretty much all tied to conversations in that game. Whereas with U Seven, the the flagging is obviously a lot more complex, right? Some of it's location based, some of it is conversation based, some of it is item based. It's there are Kinda so many more things they have to track and therefore so many more places where things can get wibbly, wobbly, and fiddly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely a lot more points where the game can break at. I know, I've tried to abuse the hell out of Ultima 6 and it just laughs at me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, whatever, I'm not going to fall over. Sorry. But, uh, yeah. I, you know, though, it was... Mm, There's only once something... we entered the age of Armageddon that the game started falling apart. Well, okay, I'll so here's the... This. Yeah, ponder that, eh? Funny, weird. Hmm. It, it, you know what? It was funny because I remember discovering the Ultima 7 cheat codes fairly early on and sharing it with my sisters. Um, my my the I, I have three sisters and the two uh, who are immediately younger than me also enjoyed playing Ultima 7 a great deal. My third sister, I think she was probably a little too young to really get into it back when it was kind of the hot thing in our house. But what I remember was that um, we really got into this frame of mind where pursuing the plot of the game became at most a tertiary consideration. You know, maybe we would do it after we had exhausted all other opportunities in the game. A lot of our interest and effort went into the use of the hack mover. And in particular, using the hack mover to appropriate buildings and decorations and whatever else we could from around the land to build our avatar. Oh, wow. Uh, a truly ultimate palace somewhere. You, 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 you were animal crossing before animal crossing was a thing. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> mind you, mind you, I did very similar things, but I didn't use hack mover. I used the, the old, uh, the old left hand of the avatar to basically, take the objects that are already in the world and just reposition them into a house. 
Well, that was fine for like, you know, plates and cups and whatnot. But when you wanted the whole table... Yeah, yeah. I used a lot of timber and a lot of barrels and crates for my furniture. Ah, yeah. No, I uh, and, yeah. and a couple and some strategically placed bedrolls. Yeah, no. I went. Uh, I went shopping uh, pretty much across the entirety of Britannia. Uh, it's so smart. smart. <laughs> it's smart to shop. S smart. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds but, like you were shopping at crates and barrels. Yeah. Well. Ha ha ha. Uh, crack, cracker Barrel. <laughs> Feel free to let that one sink in. Being that I live in Florida, I thought a Cracker Barrel was my family reunion. Well, <laughs> uh, di- di- different crackers, or are they? I think the last time I was at a Cracker Barrel was in Wyoming. Anyway, I remember, though, that at some point, um, and this is what has always amused me about like Doug the Eagle's apocalyptic sums of money and his description of how the world starts faltering well before the game crashes, uh, was my sisters and I reallocated so much stuff from around Britannia to our palace for the Avatar that uh, I remember distinctly observing similar glitches, you know, just trying to like walk uh, around the, the property and it's like, hey, wasn't there grass there a minute ago? I, I, I will point out, I eventually had this problem even with my cracker barrel method. You gave enough items object permanence and moved them from their default locations, the problem would eventually start occurring. <laughs> yep. And I mean, to be fair, there were, it was the, it was the fact that the objects were permanent that, and honestly, like that caused havoc for Ultima 9 as well, right? Like I remember talking with Bill Randolph about this, but you know, you think of something like a barrel in Ultima 9, right? You have a 3D object that represents a barrel. And you can move it around, and fine, cool, it's Ultima, you expect to be able to move a barrel around. Mm. But you can hit the barrel with your sword, and you can break the barrel. So now you've turned one 3D object into three. Or more. Or more. And you can do this multiple times throughout, you know, a fairly limited area of the game, uh, let alone, you know, across the entire breadth of the continent in the game. So the, the manipulability of objects and the permanence of objects were huge, huge issues for even something like save states in that game, right? Because of course you have to note the position of every single object that has to be captured in a save state. And then it has to be able to be replayed into the game again correctly from the save state when you reload the next time. Absolutely why save file sizes got so bloated the further you got into the game. Yeah. Um, the The Elder Scrolls games had the same problem in Oblivion. Like Yes, there's hundreds and hundreds of quests. Uh, resultingly, as you complete more and more of them and explore more and more sites, your save files get larger and larger and larger. And eventually, again, once regardless of how powerful your machine is, it starts taking longer and longer and longer to reload your saves because so much data has to be tracked. Yep. Compare turns taking longer and longer as you go through pretty much name any civilization game. Yeah, yes, well, the, there's the that too. is similar, yes. Especially ones that don't have Fog of War, or when you have a civilization expanded far enough, you don't need it because you cover most of the world. It is true. Yes, the old worlds were huge. Not because their programmers were necessarily great geniuses, but because with a static state world, it takes a lot less size to have uh, uh, in memory and resources to have that huge world. Very true. Uh, 
no, 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 that can't be it. It it just means that, you know, the later games all suck and the worlds were so much bigger and better in but no. <laughs> well, that's one I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Okay. That's one thing that I remember people complaining about when Skyrim came out was this world is so small. Uh Daggerfall and Oblivion were so much larger. I'm thinking, yeah, and any anything that was not the pre, you know, the very small section of preset dungeons was all randomized. You know, big worlds don't count if they're procedurally generated each and every single time. Well, I mean, it's not that they don't count, but you know, like it's if they're it's the trade-off, right? Yeah, it, yeah. Ultimately, procedurally generated or not, I personally feel that the procedurally generated issue is actually a tangent to the core decision here. Basically, whether you're going to be able to have a really large world or not is going to depend a lot on whether your world is mostly single state or if you're building a world that has a lot more interaction, a lot more stuff that it constantly needs to track to maintain consistency. If yep. you want that blessed consistency of a, of a persistent world... Yeah, it's going to come with trade-offs that you're that you're not going to be able to have if you're if you permit yourself what is essentially a primarily single state world. Exactly. If you if the minute you allow any kind of dynamism into into the world at all, whether that's the locations of objects, whether that's um, dialogues that shift based on certain flags being set or not set. You know, whether that, whatever the case may be, as you add dynamism to a game world, um, you're just adding to the number of variables and states that you need to track. And guess what? I mean, somewhere the price has to be paid. Yeah. You got to save that somewhere. You can keep it in memory while you're playing the game, but the minute you exit, like, I mean, that's got to be saved somewhere static, right? Somewhere non-volatile. Or you need some really interesting justification for why, for why it resets at that point. Yeah, or that, and uh, and out, out out and outside of say a game based extensively on time travel, which is really just a cheat where you have multiple single single world states. Well, you could use Crowfall's excuse for it, right? Where you know the worlds basically are you, you, you're just sort of a, a single essence that keeps getting incarnated into a series of worlds that are within the last hours of their apocalyptic demise. And sure, that works once or twice. But it's not really sustainable in the long run. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Crowfall is going into beta, and apparently it's a darn fine game for those who play well, it. It's I'm, not I'm, really my scene because it's very my, PvP my, heavy. My, but Well, my, my, what I was actually trying to get at there is that's great for what I really meant is like you can do a handful of games that use that concept, mm. but it's not a concept that's going to work in most, in many games. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. It can't be. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, yeah, it's not a joke that gets retold that much. For sure. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a stick with inherent limited use. <laughs> yep. But, I mean, like I say, it seems to work for them. And, you know, good for them, too. Like, they, that, that, that's kind of an interesting one to me because, you know, like, Crowfall kind of, it came on the scene around the same time as Shroud of the Avatar. But things, its fortunes have gone in a very different direction. They've, they, but then again, too, like they did, I think, a much better job of constraining scope. So, constraint in our ultimate RPG? What is this? What's that? That's almost a curse word. <laughs> oh, well, you know, 
don't know if I should. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> you see that pit, right? You see that pit in front of you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just debating how fast I want to dive into it. I, uh, so, so I mean, I used to volunteer as a mod for Shroud of the Avatar. Okay, I used to volunteer as a moderator for the Shroud of the Avatar forums. Right. And the old days. And you know what? Like, I mean, it it was kind of seat of the pants. You know, we we did our the, did the best we could with the resources we had on hand, which were fairly limited. And that was back when Fire Lotus was the community manager there. And but there was a pretty good team and we used, we did a lot of, you know, we, we tried to track our actions as best we could. Um, so there was Google docs that we would share back and forth with each other where, you know, if we had to give a warning to a user, if we had to revoke forum privileges for a user, um, we could, we had a log, we had a record and that was good because it let us, you know, see patterns it let us see who our problem children were, all that kind of stuff. And at some point, you know, I mean, I'm technically still a moderator on the Discord now for Shroud of the Avatar. My moderation account or my moderator account for the forums might work too, for all I know. I haven't logged in in a couple of years. But um, I still do occasionally pop in on the Discord when things are getting kind of hairy and I'll, you know, delete a few posts and warn people sternly and whatever. Um, but shake your finger meaningfully. Yeah, well, hmm. um, but, you know, for the most part, like I'm, I've kind of, I'm, I'm not really doing it anymore. It's kind of just a thing that I, I have the privileges, but I don't necessarily have the, uh, I don't necessarily undertake the role per se. But um, apparently, and I was contacted recently uh, about this, but apparently somewhere in the shuffle between like, because Fire Lotus left Portalarium and then Barrack came on board. He was the next CM after her. Um, and then he left and they have a new CM now, but at some point in that shuffle, all of the records that we made, Chris, Hmm? I'm just surprised to have an employee that isn't Chris Spears. Well, well, then that too, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe their community manager's name is, uh, Tris clears. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, um, Babylon B joke there. At some point well, in all of this shuffle, wasn't a list material. Yeah, but at some point in all this shuffle, they lost all of the records that we had kept. Oh dear! And now, all of a sudden, they're finding that some of those same problem children are back, causing problems, mostly related to PvP, and you know, to nobody's surprise, I'm sure, but. It's just, you know, so they were messaging me. It's like, hey, do you have like any of the old spreadsheets or anything that we maintained? And I'm just like, well, I'll give you what I got, but I think I stopped keeping backups in about 2014. So if you need anything more recent, not your guy, sorry. But uh, it's just, you know, one more of those ball drop kind of things. It's like, really, like you had a moderation team that was actively trying to maintain records and you didn't hold on to that. Why? And now you have these users who are causing you tons of problems, but you don't have a paper trail to say, hey, you are a persistent problem as demonstrated by these multiple moderation actions over the course of years. Get out, you know? Ugh. But keeping records is boring. <laughs> well, and then, oh my God. And then that tweet, <laughs> that apparently developing armor correctly is also boring. 
<laughs> well, and again, we remember something similar when developing weapons didn't work in U3. <laughs> what? In, in, in what? Yeah. In U3, weapons didn't do anything. They didn't affect your attack power at all. Okay, so this is a mistake that's been made before. I think the difference, though, is that in Ultima 4 and beyond, weapons did things. And different weapons did different things with different powers. You know, Richard Garriott didn't say, wow, I really duffed weapons in U3. But maybe we need to just think about weapons in games as a whole as being not useful things. Isn't it exotic? Don't you think? <laughs> you know, whereas the, the, the tweet from Catnip Games there was, you know, something to that effect. It was just like, you know, wow, like, huh, armor really is only useful to mount enchantments. Kind of makes you think. You know, and it's like, no, don't ex don't extrapolate your implementation error into some kind of generalized trend across armor any slice of the RPG for, space. Armor is only useful for mounting enchantments. Then why even have a separate light and heavy armor skills? Pete's sake. Yeah. Right. Do you suppose? Do you, do you suppose this this? Do you suppose this quarter inch of iron does nothing? Well, apparently in Shroud of the Avatar, yes. Yes, it does nothing. Unless you have enchanted it, in which case it may do something. True but more story. the enchantments. Armor in Age of Conan equally did nothing. Okay. I'm 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 gonna cut in here on this one. I'm pretty sure Age of Conan incentivized not having armor on your character model. Oh. It, yeah. Age of Conan. I, I I'll give Age of Conan a pass, a small pass but only specifically because of the very specific genre it is trying to emulate. Adult cinema? Uh, the, sword, the swords, specifically the swords and sorcery genre. Right. Nobody uh, wore armor in that genre. Nobody. Fair enough. Everybody was either naked, wearing furs, or they were in clothes. Maybe fancy robes sometimes, but clothes. Armor was practically non-existent. And to fit the whole R.A. Howard uh, motif, you could get nude in that game. Well, yes. That, and, and whether or not that was a wise decision is... I, I don't have a dog in that fight. <laughs> <laughs> Nor I. I mean, these are modern gamers in an online setting, so probably not wise. Because, you know, teabagging is bad enough in Halo. <laughs> yeah, well. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Like I said, I don't have a dog in this fight. I'd really like it to stay that way. <laughs> it could get worse. It could uh, always be worse, but that doesn't make it good. <laughs> not only did you have nudity in Conan Exiles, the survival Conan game, but there were sliders. Yes. Well, yes. And apparently and I, Cyberpunk I mean, is going to have sliders for damn near everything. I'm just going to say... And they're marketing it on the fact that they are going to have sliders for everything, which is creepy. I mean, cool that they're doubling up on the fact that both ma ma male and female figures can be nude. You know, hey, gender equality. But but at the same time, you, do you know? Do you know what other what what whatever role playing game really really focused on sliders? It was called Fatal. Don't don't If you don't know what Fatal even... is, oh, what Fatal is look it up once, but then go dunk your brain in acid afterward. I thought I had I thought I had bleached that out of my brain by this point. Thank you. 
No, no, it's permanent taint. Once it's in your brain, it never fully leaves. Please don't use the word taint when talking about Kale. <laughs> no, no, my, my word choice was deliberate. You will suffer as I have suffered. <laughs> Laugh as I have laughed. Suffer as I've I have I've never suffered. even heard of this game, and I count myself a little poorer now. If you want to join the Ultimate Dragons, you can do so at udic.org, where you can choose your very own dragon name. You can also find the Ultimate Dragons on Facebook. We have a Facebook group there. And you can follow at Ultimate Dragons on Twitter or join them on Discord. And if you're feeling really old school, you can even fire up a Telnet client and check out the Wearmount. Hit up the show notes for links to all of these. If you want to participate more directly in the podcast, you can send us an email. Or if you're feeling a little bit braver, leave us a voice message in one of three places, the podcast website, our Facebook page, or on anchor.fm. And you're also welcome to join us on our Discord server to chat with us, to lurk, or even contribute to podcast recordings when they happen. And again, links in the show notes. If you'd like to support Spam 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 Humbug, you can do so at patreon.com slash ultimacodex, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to episodes the day before they go live to the general public. You'll also get access to behind-the-scenes audio when we have some to share, and possibly other interesting content. But we also welcome your moral support. You can like the Ultima series on Facebook, follow at Ultima Codex on Twitter, or leave the podcast a review on iTunes. And you're also welcome to share our episodes with your friends and social media circles. Spam 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 Humbug is a production of the Ultima Codex. You can find show notes online at spamspamspamhumbug.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be virtuous. Virtuous.